Welcome back to Capital Stories. This is Eric, and I'm here with Kelly. Hi, everybody. Hey, Kelly. This is the podcast we talk to real people about real issues and explore intersections of life and faith to encourage you in your personal walk with Jesus. And we've got a real tough issue, a tough episode today with some some trauma and some just some really tough things to wade through. We talked to Nikolai Wedekind, um, who's a combat veteran um, in honor of Veterans Day, which was just recently. He talks candidly about the aspects of war that are real. Um, He talks about what it means to take on the responsibility of protecting our nation. And Eric, my respect for our service men and women just went up. I mean, I I have always had a respect for them and what for what they do. But hearing his story, um, it was it was it was amazing, and I'm so grateful. Yeah, and for his humility through it all, and just for his faith through it all. So I, I hope that shines through in this episode, and I hope it encourages you. So here is Nikolai on Capital Stories. I'm here with Nikolai. Let's jump in. Start by, you know, big open-ended question. Tell us about yourself. <laughs> you know, introduce <laughs> us to, you know, your military experience and also your faith background. Oh, awesome. Thank you, Eric. I'm yeah. really, really honored to be, be a part of this. I was born in Virginia. My parents are both from overseas. My dad's a German family. My mom's from South America. So I was born in the U.S., but don't really remember much about that. Because we moved uh, overseas to Austria when I was really young. So I grew up in an international school, spoke uh, group speaking three languages, and then whatever you remember from French in school, <laughs> which isn't much. Growing up as an expat, I graduated, went to the University of Wisconsin, and I just planned on going to school. And I got, re- I was recruited to be on the, uh, the rowing team there. And, mm-hmm. and that was going to be my plan go to school and study engineering and, and row for the University of Wisconsin, but I think it was like after the fact, after I'd registered for my classes, my dad, he's kind of like, hey, weren't you gonna gonna take ROTC or something? In a class and I'm like, oh, sure, I guess. (laughs) You know, so I signed up for the class, went to class the first day and they ended, you know, it was just a welcome to thing, welcome to your ROTC program and we're gonna end class a little early, you can go upstairs and get your uniforms. I'm like. Oh, um, all right. I'm in. I guess. Okay, I guess this is it. So yeah. it wasn't like a... Was it a topic of conversation for your family beforehand? Or it sounds like you, no, you brought that up. Like- uh, no, and that, that's funny because cause my family's always been supportive in whatever I did. And growing up as a hyperactive kid, I was always kind of getting into... I don't say trouble, not like trouble like you're dealing drugs, but <laughs> sure. trouble like... Yeah, and getting asked at school, like, what are you doing on the roof of the school? You, you know, <laughs> sure. stuff like that. And I, yeah. Yeah, and so... It's just safe kid stuff, right? Oh, <laughs> gosh. Uh, you know, and that was my childhood, and and I was never a straight-A student, not even preschool. It's like, hey... Uh, when they didn't even yeah, have grades. Yeah, I called mom and dad. They're like, hey. So, yeah, Nikolai, it's, he's, he can't sit still. He's kind of disrupting the class. And, you know, so this is my entire life. Yeah. But... I don't know what resonated with me on that first day of RTC and it's on a uniform. I'm kind of like, huh, okay. And it's more like an intangible thing. And I just kind of went with it. I got the uniform and I just started doing RTC. So that was the start of of my uh, life in the uniform, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Most of the guys I know who've actually been in it for a while aren't completely gung-ho. You, you, you see these images in Hollywood and in movies of like military guys with their high and tight haircuts and mm. being gung-ho all the time. And more often that's not the case, mm. you know, and especially once, you know, once we're, we're overseas, like many years later on deployment, it's mm-hmm. just like the, found that in those moments where you needed people to think clearer, the, the more rational side. Yeah. The people that weren't as wound up mm. actually, actually did better. So. I guess that's a kind of a sideways answer to your no, question, but <clears throat> just, and I'm still with the, with the national guard now uh-huh. in Utah and I'm going on, uh, 23 years still. That's not nothing. <laughs> that's... I think about it now and I'm like, Oh no, what is going on? <laughs> yeah. You know, it's still loving, but transition to a point where I've accumulated all this, this tactical experience and, you know, coming yeah. to a point where I feel a transition where I'm kind of like, okay, it's, I need to pass this on mm, and, and help and help cultivate, you know, who's coming behind. Who's coming next. Yeah. Thanks for sharing us. How about, how about your faith? Like what's your faith background and when did, when did Jesus become a part of your life? Oh man. <laughs> I grew up 
I grew up as a Catholic and uh, let me say like more uh, traditional Catholic. My mom came from South America and brought a very strong Catholic tradition to our family. And I grew up going to church, essentially mm-hmm. Catholic mass. Mm-hmm. And in Vienna, Austria, it's like really old yeah. cathedrals, <laughs> churches. And I just remember freezing anyway, because I'm a little kid and I really did not like it. Especially <laughs> someone like me tell me to sit still for an hour. That in the stiff bench? I mean, <laughs> yeah, it was torture. And yeah. I just remember Sundays that I'd get home from church and not have gotten into trouble at some point. Was was a really good, <laughs> was a really a good, good Sunday. Sunday. <laughs> and so when I graduated high school and came to the University of Wisconsin with that, I kind of left because it was more traditional family thing. I left that all behind. Mm. But now uh, looking, you know, as I look back many years and just actually valuing that time and and just when you can look into the deeper meaning of yeah. of the, you know, the Catholic ritual and. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know if this is your experience or not, but I've yeah. I've talked to a lot of former Catholics or former Lutheran or formers, you know, this 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 religious pra- you know yeah. practice that has a more regimented liturgy and and you know I often hear this this gratitude for you know there's this reverence there's this mm-hmm. there's this well understanding biblically that yeah. is gained through through teaching you know that even though it's like well I don't claim that that religious identity anymore. It was the foundation that God used to lead me or whoever to, to where you are now. Right? Yeah. A hundred percent. And mm-hmm. I don't regret any of those times. I had some, some really good priests, some really good deacons that were just, mm-hmm. you know, actually cared about the kids, yeah. at least trying to vector them in the, the right direction. <laughs> right direction. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And good. so, yeah, yeah. it's a lot of that, but it was my sophomore year at the university of Wisconsin. The campus, new campus director of Athletes in Action, his name was Scott Motice, love him to death. And he, we still chat today, which huh. is really cool because yeah. it was many years ago. That's a long time ago, yeah. Yeah, he came and talked to the crew team, like yeah. our the rowing team, team mm-hmm. before practice in the morning. And so generally... They're probably an early morning. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're like on the water at 6 a.m. Yeah. And so this is, he's before that. So to talk to someone so, before, yeah. yeah. So he came and, and just talked to the team. It's like, hey, I'm here from Athletes in Action. Here to, you know, if you're interested in a small group or Bible study here, you know, pass out these little forms you can fill out. Yes, I'm interested. No, or no, I'm not interested. Yeah. And he said, well, even if you're not interested, please fill it out so we know not to bug you anymore. Yeah. And so I'm like, ah, oh, yeah, I'm interested, whatever. And I don't even know why. It wasn't like a, oh, yeah, I have a moment. I'm just yeah. like, sure, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so... He started calling me and we started meeting. And this is before cell phones were very widely used. Okay, yeah. So, and, and just me being me, he'd call me up and we'd set up a time and then I'd blow him off. And then, he'd, <laughs> Typical. And then he'd call me up and we'd set up another time and he'd blow me off. And, or, you know, sorry, I'd blow him off. Yeah. And, and you know, it, it, this would go on, but he was just very patient. His persistence and patience. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's persistent and like, He's like, okay, well, let's try again. Yeah. And so over the time of meeting with him and he introduced Jesus to me in a way that I had not heard before and just how central he is to, you know, to, to our faith yeah. and just the, what the sacrifice he made was, yeah. was everything, mm-hmm. you know, explaining that to me. And, and so we're sitting there eating French fries at Union South on campus. And he's like, well, if you want, you can pray to receive him right now. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, me being like, oh yeah, sure. Whatever. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> so I did. And. You know, it wasn't, again, not a huge spiritual moment, but over time I was starting to have convictions over dumb things, usual dumb things I was doing, you know, and I was kind of like, huh, there's something to this. Yeah. So I started digging in more. And so it's in a sense that it's kind of like in my life, it's been like a marathon where you're mm. just laying groundwork and groundwork and it mm-hmm. sets you on this trajectory yeah. long term. And so the decision I made back then to pray for Jesus mm-hmm. in the South with Scott over these gross French fries. Yeah. Would set my tra- like complete long trajectory yeah. for the rest of my life. Yeah. So, That's um, great. yeah. And from then I just dug in athletes in action, campus crusade over mm-hmm. throughout the rest of my college years. And yeah. after that, it just, it really, it really yeah. stuck with me. And so. Cool. You've touched on your mil- your motivation for joining the military. I, you know, eventually like you, you did ROTC, you joined yeah. active duty military some at some point and mm-hmm. have been deployed a few times. Yeah. I want to understand more about deployments, you know, like even just the logistics of what's it like to even initially receive your deployment assignments. And, you know, do you go 
overseas with the same unit you've been training with for a while? Do you know what you're going to be doing when you mm-hmm. get the, the assignment? How yeah. long do you have until you're like, okay, you've got to go? And what's, what's all that like logistically? Yeah, I've been on three deployments to Afghanistan and the army went for a long time. So almost a total of three years I've lived my life over there. So mm-hmm. I know a guy if you're looking for property. I mean, you might want to get in now because the prices are like low. Learn low, you you're gonna get a good deal. Oh my um, goodness. Yeah, yeah. Well, reaching back, University of Wisconsin, I was commissioned in the Air Force ROTC, but over the years and just circumstantially, I ended up with the Utah Army National Guard. How um, does that work? If mm-hmm. we can back up even further. Yeah, I joined Air Force ROTC, got commissioned into the Air Force, and then. Eventually finished up as an aircraft maintenance officer at Hill because they, it was time for them. It's like, ah, uh, okay, you got to either, it's time you got to either move or get out. Mm. You know, it was, it's just how it is. Military, okay. you know. So you just get like new assignments and new, mm-hmm. new direction. Yeah. And, and I didn't think, I don't know. I didn't feel God was done with me here mm. in Utah. So uh, it was a, it was a tough decision, but I was like, oh, I'm going to get out without having any real, real plan for what followed. And that was a bit of a, it was a little weird. And because when you don't realize how much of your identity is tied to the uniform, hmm. in my hmm. case, and, and when it was all of a sudden, you're like, all right, it's done. It was, it was hard. Yeah. Not going to lie. Just because all of a sudden you're, you're the underlying sense of purpose that you had. Mm. And you were, even though you were going to work and you were not super enjoying it, but you mm-hmm. still had that underlying. Yeah sense of common purpose, but right. once that got taken. But it wasn't long after that, a guy, a friend of mine who knew somebody else who knew you know, one of the one of the guys who flew Apaches down here. And I didn't even know that there were Apaches in Utah. And at that point, you know, my dream of flying had actually, you know, almost let it go, but I was like, I'll give this a shot. So mm. I pretty much cold called the, the guy in charge of, of aviation here in Utah and it's like, mm-hmm. Hey, can I come talk to you? And I guess he decided he liked me that day. So, <laughs> so. and that's pretty much how I got in the uh, Utah guard. Ah, okay. Okay. It's right. okay. But it, it's, yeah. Yeah. It's, it sounds all kind of circuitous. Like mm-hmm. there's, you know, assignments that get divvied out and, and you, you know, are expected to go to this yeah. base and then you get assignments from there and you know, that the assignments have a, have a term, right. And so then when it's done, it's done and you find the next thing or they give you the next thing. Yeah. After flight school, coming back to Utah, and the thing is with the National Guard units, it's you join a guard unit and you you're with the state, like the Utah National Guard, and it's generally the same people who work there for you don't move, you're just mm. there. Yeah. And so I've been in the unit with guys who've been there 20, 30 years. You know, so you kind of become a family in a sense. Yeah. And so we're, you know, after and the thing is when you go to flight school, you don't really have to duke it out with everyone else to get your airframe selection because you already know. You know, because they rank based on how you perform in flight school, you get ranked. Okay. And then, the, you know, you get to pick first what airframe you want. I see. Okay. Um, probably, I just imagine it's very objective. Yeah, yeah, it becomes very objective. But as guys from the National Guard, you already know. Well, we have Apaches in Utah and they sent me to flight school. So, you know what you know what you're going to fly. You're yeah. going to fly. So, just focus on, you know, being a good student. Mm. And then coming back, and this was like when... We had two simultaneous uh, wars going on in Iraq and yeah. Afghanistan. So mm-hmm. we we knew what, you know, the writing on the wall. It's like, this is what's happening. Yeah. Was deployment on your mind when you started in the military? Yeah. Way back when? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I mean, how could it not be? But Yeah. And and through your all your your training, going back to RTC and, and, and once you get to an operational unit, like in my time with the Air Force, at the fighter wing, and then with the through flight school and, and our guard unit, it's military, they train to deploy. That is the overarching theme, I guess. And so I, I always knew it was an option. Mm-hmm. And you spend all this time and a lot of effort and the government spends a lot of money on, on training you. And mm-hmm. and eventually, you, it's a culmination of all your training is yeah, to actually go, it's to to go deploy, deploy and do that. and. And accomplish missions around yeah. the globe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't super, I wasn't super excited, like, oh, let's go do this. But yeah. yeah, knowing it was like, okay, we're training for this. My time comes. It's part of the gig. You know, yeah. pray that I'm ready and, and let's do that. And, you know, on the military side, existing here, we call it in garrison when you're back in the U.S., not doing any kind of operational work. Mm-hmm. And 
I do, I do okay with that. And, you know, and I was kind of like, well, how's the deployment going to go? Cause I don't really know once I get there and just during the training and there's a lot of, a lot of, you know, you have makeup scenarios, makeup, make believe scenarios and mm, a whole bunch yeah. of training and all mm-hmm. that. And so for me to, to pretend wasn't, I'm not yeah. that great at, sure. <laughs> at LARPing. I don't know. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. So it's always there knowing like, this is what we're training for mm-hmm. these currently hypothetical situations becoming real situations. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, you and know, so at some point your real situation yeah. came in the form of a, a letter or an yeah. email or an owl from Hogwarts or something like at some point you get your deployment notice. Yeah. The, the owl from Hogwarts uh, <laughs> dropped us a warning order for Afghanistan uh, and uh, we, yeah, I mean, it, it's a very nonchalant, like it, the orders come in stages. First you get a warning order, like, Hey, we have you patched in for potential mobilization on this range of dates. So interesting. Okay. And then, Another set of orders comes and then, and then the actual no kidding mobilization order comes in. When I got my first set of mobilization orders, it was, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a a feeling of fear or I don't know. It was, it was more like a excited anticipation Hmm. Mm -hmm. and it's really tough to describe in the sense that you've been working toward this thing for so long and then you're like okay you get to go do everything you've trained for yeah in this moment yeah and so i was kind of like okay well here it is and we'll we'll see how it goes yeah yeah what what were some i mean at this point i'm sure you can talk about some of these things i'm sure it's sort of secretive and confidential at first but like what are what are some of the the assignments that you've been given on your deployment like do you know in, in on the front end of your deployment like what you'll be responsible for? Like, is there an end date to the mission? Is, you know, some of these sorts of logistical questions come to mind. Yeah, I guess I can probably talk about a little what the Apache is and just try not to be too nebulous, <laughs> but the Apache is the army's attack helicopter. Okay. It has two pilots, carries a lot of weapons and for the single purpose job of close air support strike missions. Mm-hmm. Um, we use them for base defense, things, things like that. So so the the role of the Apache is is to shoot, yeah, and uh, and protect, and yeah. that's you know when you train to that. I've never been one of those people that you know said, "Hey, I really want to you know want to go out there and, and kill a bunch of people," mm-hmm. because then that, that leads to other things. But I knew this is like okay, there's probably more to this, and there's gonna be you know some questions at the back end. So our flight doc beforehand told us, hey, read this book. It's called On Killing by David Grossman. Mm. And it goes into the psychological impacts of the people pulling the trigger. Mm. Because there is a psychological cost yeah. to that. And having read that book actually set me up in anticipation of kind of like, this is what I'm going to be dealing with yeah. when that day comes. And oddly enough, that book actually touches on some biblical things mm. you know talk about like you know the god of the bible isn't any stranger to war and, yeah you know and you're going through the ten commandments and it you know thou shalt not kill but it's like let's dig into that a little more you know mm. the context of that is used as murder or mm. killing for personal gain mm. versus you know yeah uh, killing under authority, but I don't know how far we're going to go with this. But no, this is good. What, we, what was the, <laughs> yeah? I mean, yeah. I I I guess just the. Mm-hmm. The, yeah, knowing this content, I I was not aware of the, you know, the Apache and like yeah. what, that's what your mm-hmm. role was that you had been training for, you know, so that, that kind of changes the, you know, you, you are training for not just like a nebulous deployment, mm-hmm. but like, yeah, you're yeah. on assignment for something yes. that's high stakes. Ultimately, I saw ourselves as we're the protectors. A lot of times with a 911 call, if our mm. guys on the ground or any one of our NATO partner forces ah. were in trouble and they call us, we knew by the time we got there, it would be a mess. And this is like further on I in see. deployment. Yeah. And those lead to, led to some pretty, pretty emotional moments. But yeah. Wait, what part of this? Story? Well, yeah, no, this is good. I mean, yeah. like, this is even enlightening to me, like realizing, you know, I've, I have talked to veterans that. Yeah. You know, in fact, one example comes to mind where she was overseas 
you know, on a base. And it sounded just almost mundane, mm-hmm. like the assignments that she was responsible for. And, you know, it was, it was not mundane in the sense of it, like it was not worthwhile, but it was like, this is the everyday run of the mill, almost boring job. Right. Mm-hmm. Whereas your experience is, I don't know, not to like rank and file, like experiences with the military, yeah. but like, that's, that's a lot more high stakes. There's a lot more trauma, I'm sure, or I would assume you're just, your experiences have got to be, you know, with, with, with combat experience and with knowing you're going to use your weapon. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. just a different, a different mm-hmm. level of, of experience and preparation and anticipation and just mental grappling, I'm sure. So, you know, I'm, I'm curious now to understand, you know, like maybe you can share some of those experiences and, you know, for someone who's not had to step in mm-hmm. into your shoes in the past, like help me understand what that's been like, you know, maybe there's an experience or two from your combat deployments that, that stand out as like, those were some moments that will stick with me forever mm-hmm. for better or for worse. Or yeah. Like, do you have experiences that you're willing to, to share? I'm sure that it's, you know, experiences like that are probably hard to mm-hmm. revisit and i'm sure it's you know if there's trauma involved and i'm yeah. sorry to ask you to revisit them but no, if you're comfortable that's... sharing and if you're willing to no eric i'd th- love to hear thank it. you so much for asking and and seriously it's although it is man i might get emotional telling some of it's this, okay but it's it's just part of it and a lot of what i had to deal with and coming back and you know god bless my uh therapist yeah um because it's just one of the things you have to unpack with somebody and yeah repressing isn't um a very healthy solution no. anyway that's beside the the point of discussion deployment for me and it's kind of like watching a if you're gonna pack a deployment into like a i don't know a movie that's two hours long <laughs> i think about four minutes of it spread out throughout the movie would be like this is the freakiest scariest thing ever and mm-hmm. the rest of it is, wow, this is the most boring movie ever. <laughs> okay. So it's, <laughs> okay. you know, so it's not a, a constant state of like all the time on. Yeah. Yeah. One mission we had, and this was the break after we got there. There was this guy down in this area of Afghanistan. We were partnered with, with our, our NATO friends. They're mm-hmm. special forces guys. And they were going to go get this one guy. We, you know, they call them high value targets. And so we go in and. And do a whole operation, go in there, get them. And, and this is an offensive. Yeah, this is like a, an offensive mission to go get this guy. So, so we're uh, supporting them and we're supposed to be in and get the guy and come out, out by uh, before the sun's up. So this is mm-hmm. all at night. All at night. Yeah. So we're using a lot of infrared and mm-hmm. night vision goggles. And my, uh, my front seater, Griff, and we've, we've been on three deployments together. And so, and this is where we're both. So you're flying together in the same helicopter. He's my, he's my guy, the co-pilot gunner. And I'm in the other, other seat in the back seat. And so, and this is where, you know, first deployment and we'd just gotten there. So we're just kind of trying to figure things out. And Mm -hmm. we've been told, I was like, this, this is how it's supposed to go down in the mission. So we're flying cover the, uh, the Chinooks, the big helicopters that carry a lot of people and they drop off Mm, the forces and, and you stay in the air? Yeah, too. we we provide cover for okay. them while mm-hmm. they're doing mm-hmm. their mission. And is mm-hmm. it and almost yeah, almost immediately after <laughs> they land and they go into the village, you see a bunch of flashing from the ground infrared in my goggles. I'm like, what is that? Mm-hmm. And and uh my buddy Griff, he's in the front seat and he he'd been as a fueler on a prior deployment, and he's like, Yeah, that's what that's what shooting looks like. Wow. Well, and I could, because we have yeah, no seen that, context yeah. for it. And, yeah. you know, and in our scenarios of training up, you just hear it from the radio, sort of taking fire, you know, I'm yeah. like, okay, wow. That's what that looks like. Yeah. So even yeah. the first time seeing it, like training yeah, didn't it, equip you for nothing, that mental picture. No, the mental picture is what you're, you're trained to respond. If you're told this, then this is the direction you want to go. But actually seeing it for the first time yeah. under all these conditions was was yeah was entertaining i'm like okay and mm. you know i remember his, his line is like yeah they're not taking pictures down there those aren't wow. camera flashes yeah <laughs> you know and so the reality of that just started to started to set in yeah huh. and we ended up in a after a while and then they have a guy embedded with ground forces there's typically someone who's can talk to the aircraft 
mm-hmm. and relays with the the commander on the ground. And so the commander on the ground focuses on directing all his people and moving them around. Mm-hmm. And he tells, you know, what, you know, what he wants the aircraft to do. So yeah. they have a, some other special guy that talks to the, the aircraft and they got, they got to a point where they had collectively lost track of where everyone was. And if, and that's where you just kind of dawn on it. Like the, it's not like playing call of duty yeah. <laughs> where, you know, you can see like you have red dots and blue dots and you're like, yeah. Oh, well, those guys are bad. And these are good. Right. But then it, it gets, it got modeled in a hurry. Mm. The, the guy who was directing our mission, he was uh, the mission commander for, cause we fly in teams of two Apaches. He was also new and he really didn't, didn't know how to handle it. And so mm. essentially they, yeah, once they figured out, they're like, okay, we're going to have the Apaches start shooting. But they, they cleared us into an area where we weren't quite sure what they were telling us, what they want us to do hmm. or shoot at. But by this time, they were just trying to take care of their guys and, and get, get them out. They had a couple guys during that firefight that got hit. So the medevac yeah. helicopter came in and picked them up and, and the medevac was getting shot at. Wow. Like, okay, well, this is, this is great. Yeah. And, uh, and this is literally uh, like your first mission. I'm just Yeah, it's, it's pretty early on. Yeah. We'd done other missions that were a lot more benign. Sure. Like a convoy escort or something yeah. like that. But by that time, because they were taking way longer than they had and mm-hmm. just trying to consolidate their guys and get them out and, and quell like, the rest of the villages warming up and waking up because by that time the sun's starting to come up yeah. and the bad guys are coming in right, from neighboring right. villages are like, this is going to get bad in a hurry. Yeah. But once the sun started coming up, one of those places they wanted us to shoot at were, we took one of our other sensors, which you need light for. It's like a day. And we saw a NATO patch in one of those areas where they told us to, Just to fire, to fire. And that, that was a really, really vivid moment hmm. of this is a lot muddier and a lot yeah. Less clear than, than we were taught Yeah, you know, throughout our training. And especially as a new guy, you don't have a whole lot of experience to go off of. So we, we had to get creative in, in what we did to try to, you know, to not, we told our JTAC or JTAC, sorry, this is the guy who talks to the aircraft the car- Yeah, that no, we can't, we can't do this. We're looking at Okay. One of your patches yeah. right there. So, and that was just a lot more, a lot more silence. We had a lot of discussion in between our, our, our aircraft, but hmm. just knowing in that moment that we were really close to actually taking out our own friendly, allies. Yeah. yeah. Allies was, was, yeah, yeah. it's something that'll, they'll sit with me. It's like how close we got to actually, okay. Yeah. How close we actually got to doing that. Yeah. So we, yeah, that, that mission went way longer than it was supposed to. It was full daylight and we ended up, well, to get everything to quiet down, we ended up shooting a bunch in a riverbed and a bunch of walls just to make noise, just to not really um, the best way to do things, but you kind of create some movement and you create some space for guys to move around. Mm. And there was a bunch of that. And until they were able to, to get out and actually yeah. one of our, our Chinooks, the big, there's cool yep. things that you actually got hit a few times on the, on extracting our guys. Oh my. So that was a, you know, that was, and, and after that was all done and like, we're all taken off and we're, we're leaving. And my, my front seater was just actually like, he had to come off the mic cause he was throwing up oh. for a minute. And, wow. and it's just one of those things that once you're there and, and it wasn't like you get sick from the aircraft, but the, once the adrenaline yeah, runs like flushes. And after he was done, it was like, yeah, you got to fly for a bit. And I just remember like coming off like the mic. And I just remember tears just completely streaming down my face, just yeah. completely uncontrolled. Huh. And I knew that in that moment we're flying home and I'm just uncontrollably like, yeah, just a waterfall of emotion. And, and I knew that, it was like, okay, this is going to be something I'm going to have to mm-hmm. process and, and work through. Yeah. Yeah. Was it, I mean, it sounds like there's a lot of factors there that, that kind of yeah. led to the intensity of that, that moment. I mean, there's like the stress of like, we're running behind on this mission. There's the mm-hmm. stress of like, I was told to shoot here and I can see that I shouldn't shoot there. And the consequences yeah. of, of those actions, mm-hmm. you know, just living with that. And 
you know, when it's all said and done, I imagine just, I, yeah. I, I can understand your, your high heightened emotion there with just, just yeah. this release of whoa. hundred mm-hmm. um, percent. And that, yeah, after, I mean, looking back on it now and I'm, I'm just glad we, we did what we did and, you know, I, I don't have any regret from that. And that mm-hmm. was probably the biggest, yeah. that was a, probably the biggest takeaway from, from that day. Although it was a lot of dealing with a whole bunch of unknowns and, and just being peaked out for many, many hours, high, yeah. like adrenaline maxed out. And, you know, you don't remember the last time you've eaten or drank anything. Right. And, and so that just seems irrelevant. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. so, yeah, that was a, that, that was a, yeah, that I remember in that moment and, just in the moment of once we saw the partner force patch there on mm. the ground in, yeah. <laughs> in our sensor video, yeah. I'm like irrefutable. And my prayer <laughs> in that moment yeah. was like, Oh God, please don't let me f- this up. <laughs> yeah. That uh, literally. And wow. That is pretty much was my overwhelming takeaway yeah. from, yeah. from that day. Man. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're, there are others and with, but that was my first like mark of like, right. One. Yeah, I'm in it We're now. In it. This, this is, is it. real. Yeah. The training has done all it can, but mm-hmm. can only do so much to prepare. Yeah. Yeah. And th- I mean, like then how do you come off of that, that moment? Like you fly back to whatever base you're staying at. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you all just like talk about what just happened? Do you, well, I mean, it's like, kind of funny because you like that, assess the damage. Like I'm sure that there may have been casualties and, and at, at minimum injuries. Yeah. Once we collected everything and they asked the questions because it got so muddy and, and it's kind of like our sensor video is recorded on a, on a tape. Sure. Not a literal tape, but a DVR. Yeah. Or like whatever. a chip or something. <laughs> very expensive flash drive. <laughs> yeah. An old and high so, tech floppy disk. <laughs> yeah. And, and then you have to deal with some armchair quarterbacking from mm, your sure. um, guys. But yeah. this is early on in deployment and everybody's like, you should have this, you should have right. this, you should have this. And I'm like, oh man. <laughs> you weren't there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't know. Maybe we tried that and yeah. we couldn't get any, you know, if A, then B, then C. But we did A and neither B or C happened. And yeah. so... But I'm even thinking between you and your your front seater, mm-hmm. like, you know, it's not you you fly the thing back because he's coming off of his adrenaline rush and is literally sick and yeah, you know, you you land and and then yeah, and after that there was there was discussion kind of like well who told you to shoot <laughs> who told you to do all the shooting and once our our Chinook got back and they found the the like the the holes in it mm. in the bullet holes. And wow. Then, then they said, okay, you're all right. Good job. Good job. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. They just didn't even like realize. That... Yeah. And yeah. Wow. So yeah, that was just, just my intro to that. But I mean, uh, there are, and then, is uh, the, then I, you know, the next day is not the same. I'm sure. Cause you said it's like, if it's a 90 minute movie, four minutes is that intensity. Yeah. You know? Uh, so yeah. And that was, that was definitely it. And so do you have yeah. these experiences multiple times of deployment? Yeah, I had a I had a few. The ones the one that really really sits with me is that we had some of our marine partners doing an operation and that we got and we were the alert crew that day. And like we got we got the notification but the word took a little bit of time to get to us. Mm-hmm. And so we were it took us a little longer to launch and get up to where they needed help, but yeah, but by the time we got there, and it was just like 15 minutes before the two Marine special operators had, had lost their lives, just because we didn't, I mean, this, like, and we're talking, one of the things I deal with coming back from deployment, especially that one, the first one was guilt. Mm. You know, it's like, if I could have mm. been there, mm. you know, just, you know, yeah. 15 minutes earlier, these two Marines could have mm. made it. I mean, still now it, it, it creates some, some emotion in me. Yeah. And that. But what I took out of that was what can I do to, to be faster, to help facilitate this, to, mm. to be able to get to where our guys need help wow. sooner. Realistically, there's no way I could have known, but yeah, there's this, yeah, yeah that's, that's hard. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. No, it's, it's completely, it's, it's part of what we did out there and yeah, I suppose yeah. it's part of the job, but yeah. like. It's still hard to prepare just mentally and emotionally for mm-hmm. the realities of 
not just war, but like your, your personal obligation and responsibility in said war because of yeah. your role. Mm-hmm. And then there's this element of like, obviously you're, you're literally doing your best mm-hmm. and it wasn't enough. And so there's this doing your best and trusting God with outcomes yeah, and questioning God and, and unfortunate outcomes and probably grappling with with God and why, why is this even a thing, God, that we're in this war or that we're, I don't know. Like, I'm sure there's all kinds of grappling Mm -hmm. that's done. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, there is, I don't think I really grappled with God in the sense that, uh, that why, you know, why is this even a thing? Mm. Um, My, just because our role there was very, very micro. Our job was there to protect Yeah, you had a specific function. That that was very clearly defined for us. Yeah, and not a lot less about the the overarching. Sure, uh, the 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 reason for the war was irrelevant for your your mission in the war. Exactly. And so that's our just laser focused on, you know, getting my aircraft in the air as fast as I possibly can, regardless of that. And you know, after that that mission where we we lost our our two Marines. Yeah, I I mean I always knew that. That God had had something for me there. While I was not on mission, I'd go help out at the USO just because I like people. And dug in with our uh, chapel a little bit. Mm. And it, it was interesting because I, I just loved like just like working with college students and then, mm-hmm. and then going to church just because of the community that was formed. And so our chaplain was actually really, really super cool guy, laid back, relatable. And I remember talking to him after the first time I pulled the trigger. Yeah, you know, to take someone else's life. I went and talked to him, and, and I'm like, okay, what's just to figure out? I'm like, okay, I, you know, spiritual counsel. Do you yeah. have any insight on this? Because he's he was in a, in Iraq before, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, he took the time to sit down with me, and he said, just like you know, read the Old Testament. God yeah. is no stranger to war. Yeah, you know, and uh, and also going through like you know, the 10 commandments, it's like, you know, this is, this authority, this is under authority. Mm. You're not doing it for your own personal gain. Yeah. It's not yeah. murder. And yeah. Just unpacking that. Right. I'm, I'm sure that's, mm-hmm. but especially the first time where it's like, this is entirely new to you. And this is, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. I'm sure there's that moment of immediately after like, oh yeah. yeah. And, but moving on because mm-hmm. it's the mission, you know? And yeah. Yeah. Thanks for letting me just kind of sit with that. Like in this, I don't, I'm processing even how. No, like, you're, my, you're totally fine. And, and I'm trying to not fire hose all this stuff no, all at once just, because like, you don't need to worry about me. <laughs> I, like, I, you yeah. know, and the, yeah, this is not necessarily what I had intended to like talk about today, but this kind of makes real to me just the real need for spiritual counsel and general counsel yeah. for veterans I have a high school classmate whose brother committed suicide after oh, a few years in the service. And, you know, I, I, I never, I wasn't super close with him to talk about his experiences of war, but, mm-hmm. you know, hearing just a dose of what you're sharing today, yeah, you know, makes me realize the absolute intensity of the scenarios that many veterans are in and the, the taboo, like, you're not going to go talk about this, you know, to your coworkers now, likely, unless it's over the course of a seven hour coffee. <laughs> yeah. Right. You know, and so you mentioned your counselor earlier and just, mm-hmm. you know, what, what a blessing. Yeah. Counselors and are in this. Oddly enough, I, I didn't seek out counseling until my, after my second deployment, because I came back from my first deployment and pretty soon after that, I think I was home nine months and rolled right into a second deployment with uh, another National Guard unit that really needed a pa- help with Apache mm-hmm. pilots. Yeah. In that sense, looking back now, realizing like I never really fully even came home after yeah. the first deployment. Huh. Like my mind was completely not present. Yeah. Tell me more about that. Like, so you were home for nine months. Like mm-hmm. your deployment was a year-ish. You said you had three, three times a year. Yeah. Three or so. That was a long time to be there. Yeah. And then you come home for less time than you were gone. 
Mm-hmm. And like, do you start working right away somewhere else? Are you like looking for a job? Are you p- jumping back into a church community? Like, what, <laughs> well, after, what's it like uh, to come back yeah, after from that, that deployment? We have our post deployment leave, and yeah, I was in the middle of working on my master's degree for occupational therapy. <laughs> okay, which it, t- it takes some real talent to be able to to finish a degree and a three-year degree in six years, but I did it. You I, did it. I, <laughs> it sure does take talent. So kudos to you is what oh, you're saying. <laughs> yeah. The faculty there were wonderful and super supportive. And yeah, so I went back, I actually got a semester of school done, but it took me a long time to get back to church. Because hmm. after that first deployment, I, and, and, and it was just the dichotomy of, of being in a community of people where everybody knows you and you're talking about your military experience now, like, or church. Oh, church. Church. Is, uh, okay. Like before deployment and you're, you're sure. ingraining your church community. Yeah. You're going, oh, he's deploying. Let's pray for him. Coming back. Yeah. And uh, I, I was just like, I don't want to have to explain any of this to anybody mm. right now. Yeah. It was months and months. Hmm. So almost like avoiding the communal elements yeah. that you were so familiar with before. Exactly. Because it would be painful. Yeah to rehash some of those things. Yeah. And I don't know if I was processed. I mean, I was obviously processing, but I really didn't know what to do with all, all this stuff in my head. Yeah. But, you know, I was still thinking about Afghanistan a lot. Yeah. A lot of me was still in Afghanistan. So, yeah. And and just because it's the Apache pilots, it's a small community. And so just, you know, a couple messages from a couple friends and we're kind of like, Hey man, (laughs) how was it? And, you know, and then one thing led to another and I'm out the door mm. headed back. Heading back. Yeah. 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 Before you even mm-hmm. know it, you're back. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So. Okay. Anyway, then you were, you were talking about your, mm-hmm. your second deployment. You so- started seeking counseling after that because yeah. it felt like one deployment almost mm-hmm. with a, yeah. a short break in between. But yeah. So when you returned from your second, was that any different? What was that like to kind of. Yeah. Reintegrate doesn't feel like the right word, but it also well, does. It, it is 100% <laughs> yeah. realizing that. And, and on my second deployment, I was kind of like, I just going home. I got to stop this weirdness. And so I came home from my second deployment and I full forced myself into everything. Mm. I, hmm. and, and this is just one thing I, you know, learned from, well, graduate school, I guess. But, you know, letting what you're doing actually help inform your recovery. And so I just went, I went right on back to church. I jumped right on back in and started hanging out with friends right away. And, mm-hmm. and that, that helped a lot. Did it, how yeah. did it feel natural to you? Oh God, no. I, so, like, what, I, can't, <laughs> I just can't imagine, you know, horribly awkward. In um, what ways? Like, and how did it get better over time? I imagine it got better over time. You're not still just awkwardly like, <laughs> well, I just, I just didn't feel present. Mm. I just felt like distance. I'd be there. I'd interact. I'd have a conversation, but I'd, I'd feel like I was looking at my body, having a conversation from six mm, feet away. Sure. It was, it was really strange. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, and by that time I was like, I have to finish my graduate degree. So I ended up being like, man, I really got to dig in and go all the way back to school and get, get my head wrapped around that. Mm-hmm. So I ended up applying to be a resident advisor up at the university of Utah. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. And that was probably the most fun I've ever had. Oh, good. School. <laughs> good. Oh, I loved it. I was an RA back in the day too. Oh, I fun times. <laughs> oh, it was so much fun. So I actually did that two years. My last two years of grad school. Oh, it was so great. Yeah. Good, re- just like a dose of get back into yeah, life. Jumping out, you're all yeah. you're all about the University of Utah now. Yeah, and so that really really helped, and but also realizing the stuff that was keeping me up at night and the stuff that would that would sit with me over you know when when things quieted down, I had headspace to myself, which mm-hmm. I tried to avoid by staying uh-huh. super busy. Sure. Was that when I'm like, I should probably talk to somebody about this. Yeah. You know? uh, yeah. So at some point, the this. avoidance strategy yeah. only goes so it, far. Mm-hmm. I wonder if there's more, you know, you've talked about your faith through deployment and like some specific moments of your prayer life during intense moments of deployment. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you became a Christian and accepted Jesus before any of all this, like you were a sophomore in college, you said, and you started ROTC at the same yeah. time. So like this, Christ has been a part of your life journey before the military. And I'm curious to understand if and how your faith has informed your experiences in the military or, or even vice versa. Like, 
your context of the world as a, a combat veteran is is unique, you know, mm-hmm. to combat veterans and, and you, but as a Christian as well, like what are some of these these kind of intersecting moments of my faith in Christ and my experiences as a veteran? Like where where are some of those rubber hits the road kind of intersections? Yeah, I knew that even even before heading out the door on my first deployment, I you know, God talks about you you equip yourself with with his word and and just, you know, making it innate. And I that all goes back to way back as a sophomore. Mm. You know, and the trajectory it sets up and I'm like I have all this this stuff. I'm like God, let me let this be a thing. I don't know what's coming up. I don't know how I'm going to handle it, but mm. please be at the middle of whatever it is this is. Mm. I actually had at my in my bunk, I had a prayer written out that the first thing I'd see when I wake, wake up, up or, or uh, when I went to sleep. And yeah. it was, and this was my prayer throughout all my deployments, actually. Yeah. And I actually kept the original scrap of paper <laughs> that I wrote it on. Wow. Actually, is cards, some, I don't know, junky cardstock I found. It's nicer. I wrote it on there, to... but I took it on all my deployments and yeah. stuck it to where I could see it. Wow. Like. Do you still have it? Like. Yeah. It's. Yeah. It's somewhere are you i mean like do you still have are you do you have the words like yeah, i'm, I'm I curious about the prayer if you're willing to share it yeah god may you grant me the clarity wisdom and discernment to be relentlessly and overwhelmingly efficient in this time mm. cause me to live my life such a way that would draw others to you mm. Ooh, just a flood of all kinds of emotion right there yeah mm. anyway and so that's that's kind of what i wanted to to be my overarching like this is yeah. everything here mm. you know and us not like like conversations that I have, but how I handle myself. Yeah, under times of stress, and it right. turns out that a big part of me came alive in in combat, hmm. which I never would have thought in a million years, and and actually end up thriving in that environment. Yeah, God equips us each to our own yeah our own callings, right? Mm-hmm. And that was your that is yours, and that was you know yeah. it sounds like even surprising to you that He <laughs> equipped you in such a way. Yeah. It, it really was. Yeah. And also all the deployments I've had, I've made it a point to read through the entire Bible. Interesting. Every, yeah, every day. And, and again, it's not one of those things that I'm expecting any kind of like, if I do this, then God will do this awesome stuff. But I'm kind of like, all right, God, I know no bad is going to come of me like digging in your word every time. And, and when those days were emotionally rough or we had these missions where I'm like, I can't even see straight or think about anything. And I'd sit there and read. I'm like, God, I don't know what, I, I can't even see the pages. <laughs> I can't yeah, even read these I words right read now, these but words. I just pray that I trust you that some of this is going to stick somehow. And I just keep moving on. Yeah. You know, and that's through like, you know, you version Bible in a year uh-huh. plan. Yeah. And uh, I have such, I just, I'm so amazed, you know, that God would, would give you the faith on the front end. To, and give all of us, honestly, the faith on, on the front end of our, whatever experience it might be, whether it's combat, military experience, or whatever run-of-the-mill thing where any of us are facing today, mm-hmm. to give us, you know, the faith to trust him with it, the, the you know, the active choice to, to pursue him and to turn to him. Because, I mean, it sounds like that was literally what sustained you. Yeah through some of those hard moments mm-hmm. and those, those days that were upside down, just yeah. the, you know, thank God for that. That just, and it, it's the community that I had and like, you know, going to our chapel in the tent and we sitting there and we had a little bit of a band mm-hmm. and we'd practice on occasion, but we all had different jobs. And I was one of the guys that wasn't, you know, We'd have to go do our missions, and so we wouldn't be around. And hmm. so I was late to. Uh, we decided to practice on like a, I don't know, Wednesday at some time. And I came hmm. late. I'm like, oh, sorry guys, sorry I was late. I was in a firefight down south, and you know, which by that time was completely normal, <laughs> normal for, to, say. for to me to say. But the look I got from these, from the the rest of the mates in the band was, I'm like, oh yeah, okay, sorry. You know, but that stuff starts to feel yeah. normal at some point. And wow, and just trying to fuse the community of church with the reality of what we're in at war. Yeah. And even cause they were, they were still new there. Yeah, too. sure. And uh, we actually had one we having a Sunday service at chapel and I was up there playing and 
and we actually the base siren went off and we we got rocketed and we we got rocketed bunches what does that mean right the they launch rockets at our, oh like literally <laughs> fired at at yeah. church uh-huh. yeah see what i mean it's and like, you're like and you're chuckling about this <laughs> well because uh, the siren went off and so the rockets boom 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 i was like wow that's real so we end up in the bunker which was you know you hear this yeah. the siren goes off you go to the bunker. you go to the bunker and protect yeah and so uh, we're all sitting there with everybody from the chapel and all this. And, and our chaplain, because he's cool, is like, well, probably going to be in here a while. You guys Let's just keep going. finish up the service. <laughs> and so we did. And I'm kind of like, and that wow, was. That's kind of beautiful. Fusion of, yeah, of, you know, stuff that was really familiar and empowering to me. And, 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 and also the reality of being in Afghanistan. Yeah. yeah. Wow. It just is reassuring to me that we have such a, a big God that can show up. Yeah. In this world, mm-hmm. in, in the bunker of a war zone. And, you know, when, when people choose to gather and praise him, yeah, who cares what's going on around, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it, still, it, that's, it was a whole yeah. comedy, the situation. And yeah. by that time we kind of found it funny. Wow. Well, of course. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, well, let's just keep going. Wow. <laughs> yeah. wow. <laughs> it's not normally something I think I would laugh at, but today it feels appropriate. Yeah. Like this. <laughs> yeah, it is. It was, <laughs> Like, yeah. Okay. yeah. Wow. Maybe you're not unique in this way, um, but you seem unique in the sense that like your, your faith has grounded you mm-hmm. and been just the stability before you got deployed. And so coming back from these traumatic experiences, you know, I would, I would be curious if your perspective on the world has changed, if your perspective on life and, and, and faith in God have, has changed because of these experiences. And my, my suspicion is your answer is maybe no, because you had that grounded constant of faith before. But then at the same time, how could your perspective not change from being in these traumatic experiences? So I, I don't know, like what, how would you say your perspective on life or faith or the world has changed, if at all, from your deployment experiences? Um, ultimately, I wouldn't say my perspective on the world or or God has changed. I, I'd see God showed himself to me in very different ways hmm. um, on deployment in the middle. And I'm talking about in the midst of like those moments where super scary parts of the movie. And that's where, you know, my, and, and just from having that foundation ahead of time. So my prayers then weren't like, oh, God, protect me from this. It was like, God, please let me do a good job. Hmm. Don't let me screw this up because, hmm. you know, there's a lot more that hangs in the balance. It's just my own personal safety hmm. here right now. Hmm. You know, coming back, you, you do have a lot of other, you have a lot of experience and just evaluating it. I'm like, yes, God, like, help me learn something from all this stuff I'm acquiring and learning and, and just not lose hope in, in people. Hmm. Because you just see a lot and, you know, when you're looking at the, uh, it's like down Afghanistan, you're going through a village and looking at the families and yeah. you're like, you know, God cares for these people. Yeah. Everybody. And, you know, knows their name, knows they have a purpose. And mm-hmm. um, while I'm here, just, you know, just let me do what I can mm-hmm. um, to help them have a better chance at, you know, knowing who you are. Mm. I, I want to shift gears a little bit. And there's a yeah. question I thought about that I, I want to touch on at least. Mm-hmm. Um, you, I'm curious about your experience of community in the military. You know, obviously you're, you're working towards the same mission. You're going through these really intense and traumatic experiences together, right? That's, it's a, a bonding experience to say the least, right? Yeah. But I'm curious if there's something we can learn from that too, as, as like a church community or as just a, just any, any form of community, like what can we learn from the elements of military camaraderie, especially in what feels like such a divided place right now? Like, you know, here in the military, I'm sure you all have your own, your own political views, your own beliefs about faith and religion. Mm -hmm. I mean, all these things we don't talk about, right? Right. Publicly, you all come from different areas and then come together over this common, you know, duty. I don't know. What's your thoughts on what we can learn from, from from that yeah man great question i i tend to be more of a communal i love being around people and i find that people when people come together around something 
common. Mm-hmm. And so for like our church community, like collectively serving in a group and you see that in like groups that go together on missions trip and, come, mm-hmm. and then they come back, they, they tend to be closer. Yeah. And in the midst of collectively serving someone who's vastly, uh, you know, doesn't have nearly the, the opportunities or anything and just realizing how blessed we are just to be, mm-hmm. you know, inside the borders of this country, mm-hmm. regardless of your circumstance. But coming to that collective realization and together and realizing that together you can do, you know, be salt and light to these, mm-hmm. to whoever it is. And doesn't even even have to be a missions trip. I mean, plenty of work to do here in uh, Salt Lake. Yeah. And having that be an ongoing thing. Mm-hmm. I, I found that, you know, just service you know, overcomes a lot of, of barriers, yeah. a lot of differences. Yeah. Yeah. Do you see your military service as, I mean, at, at its core, it's serving the country, right? Mm-hmm. Is that how you look at it and looked at it at first? And what's that like? Like I, your motivation around why? Mm-hmm. Why military? Is it? That's a great question. I don't know if I have a really direct answer to this is my family's always done it. Hmm. But it comes down to just service and and just, you know, having your life count for something. Hmm. Yeah. You know, other than just my own mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah. So, yeah, and I guess ultimately that's what has kept me going. Just, you know, realizing that my life is just not all about my immediate space, that there is something a little mm-hmm. bigger mm-hmm. for me out there and ultimately a lot bigger. But even as, as far as I could see, you know, even in our own little sphere, but if you make your own little sphere of what you can see or who you can influence just a little bit bigger, mm-hmm. then that can make a, make a huge. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. That's good. Is there anything you'd want people to know? and this might be hard to generalize, but mm-hmm. is there anything you'd want people to know about, I don't know, how to interact with a service member, like a veteran, a combat veteran, like someone who's, you know, I, I think about like on Veterans Day, you know, thanking a veteran for their service. And mm-hmm. to me, that's felt a little intangible. Like it's hard to know what, what to like to thank for. And mm-hmm. like, I don't understand your experiences. And like, it feels like almost like a platitude I'd be giving you in a sense. I don't know. Is there, what would you like for I, uh, people like me to, to know about? I mean, as far as like on veterans day, thank you for your service. I mean, it's something people say, and it's not because they're trying to, you know, be trite or anything. It's no, just, of course not. Of course not. And, and, you know, I do appreciate it. I'm like, Oh, thanks. Yeah. Or I'll come up with, you know, some other witty response. I'm like, Hey, thanks for paying for your taxes. <laughs> thanks for paying your taxes. The toys are fun. <laughs> you know, yeah, <laughs> this stuff like that. But I guess my um, question is, is there anything that we do collectively as a society or as like when it comes to recognizing and honoring mm-hmm. or, or not recognizing or not honoring mm-hmm. service members and their experience? I I think it would come down to more the individual. Personally, if I'm in Sunday morning service, <laughs> please don't ask the vets to stand up. Please don't ask the vets to stand up. Please don't ask the Oh, you okay. know. Yeah. Like, oh, great. You know, just because I just like to do my job knowing I've done a good job and, mm. and just going along with that now. I mean, if Applebee's is going to give me a free dinner <laughs> on Veterans Day, I'm like, okay, okay let's, let's, let's go to Applebee's. That, you know? But talking to vets about their experience by all means please it'll probably be awkward depending on how it's asked or who's asking it mm-hmm. and then usually i'll be like okay why are you asking you know if, if you really want to know i'll tell you but if you yeah. know if it's just something you feel you have to do hmm. you know it becomes more of an intimate conversation yeah sometimes you build some bridges that way yeah you know because you'll get the hey i had no idea or and it opens a door i would hope it would open a door for you or for mm-hmm. the veteran to to not compartmentalize or bottle that experience yeah. in, in, in overseas or in the counselor's office alone, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And a, a lot of times, like, actually, I mean, uh, you get a lot of narrative about how our, our government sucks and, and all that. But um, there really has been a really, really good effort at taking care of taking care of the vets mm-hmm. coming back from these two wars. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's because you hear talk to guys who've come back from Vietnam. And there was mm-hmm. nothing for them. And still to this day, what they're having to 
yeah. deal with just the trauma of being there and then coming yeah. back here and having people hate him for it, mm. which is I'm really grateful for for having a support system. Yeah. Like overwhelming supportive after coming home. Yeah. And, and that I really can't put a value on. Mm. I, I really don't know where I'd be without without that. Mm. That's, That's good. good. Yeah. Well, thank you for your service. And thank you for, <laughs> for talking today. Honored, Eric. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you for listening. And thank you truly to Nikolai for your vulnerability and for sharing and to all our servicemen and women um, as we honor your service. And what can we do? You know, there's just a, a challenge or an action step that I was thinking about when we were listening to Nikolai's story. And, and that's to thank our servicemen and women uh, when we see them. Maybe it's asking them a question about their experience. Uh, another thing that came to my mind was wow, let's be praying for for those who have served and those who are serving, even if we don't know them by name, let's pray for them in general and ask God to protect them and lead them and give them wisdom. I was so inspired by this. Amen. Yeah, we'll be back at you in a couple of weeks. Thanks for listening.